I love PR FAQs. You know what's really hard? To get people who grew up around PowerPoint to embrace PR FAQs in a Word doc with no visuals. It's really difficult. It's like they don't want to read. <laughs> but actually, no, the approach is flawless. <laughs> <laughs> no joke. No joke. It's like, yeah, read this for 20 minutes, then we'll talk. It's just like, uh, no, show me pictures on landscape A4. That's not how power relationships work. <laughs> yeah. Wait, you're meant to Have just, you heard of management? Can you just summarise it in like a slide for me? It's like, no, can you, can you just read? Just read for a bit. I would like to make worse decisions <laughs> on less information. Go. Started during lockdown. Needed something to do. to you and so from a garden shed in a box room in west london they're discussing tech it's the small time best podcast can we talk a little bit about amazon because there's two things that happened today one amazon's quarterly earnings got announced which was interesting but the other thing was that thing you sent me which is really really cool and you need to explain to me how that works so on their quarterly earnings, Amazon's stock price dropped 14%. So now's a great time to buy Amazon. They reported a, a quarterly loss. They've kind of overemployed staff because do you remember when at the start of the pandemic, they said, okay, this is it. It's go time. We're going to massively prepare testing kits. We're going to massively stock up on PPE. We're going to hire massively and massively increase our warehouse space in preparation for this new phase of humanity which is pandemic lockdown so mm, that was course. that separately um yeah they've launched something it's amazing it's called buy with prime and the way it works is if you're a person selling any product on the internet and you want your customers to not drop out at the checkout process why do people drop out at checkout either because they want to they find out how much it's going to cost for postage or shipping and they don't want to pay anything they'd rather pay zero amount or they drop out because they're faced with a checkout form that's long and cumbersome and they're not sure about putting in their credit card details and or they just get distracted but either way they just drop out somewhere between wanting to buy the thing and pressing pay they drop out and that happens and it's awful so what amazon's done and partly is a massive and incredible end run around competitors like Shopify mm -hmm. is they've said you on your website which is your store's website you can now have buy with prime it's a button it says buy with prime when people click it they get free shipping and their credit card details are already entered because what will happen is they click the button they go to, they sign in the browser will probably already populate the password so they'll sign in and then immediately Credit card details populated, address details populated, defaults to the standards that you have on your Amazon. And it ships for free. It's either one day or two day, depending on where you are. And uh, bam, transaction has closed. Merchant ends up with your email address. So they still feel like they have the customer relationship. And in one fell swoop, Amazon has embraced and extended their way around Shopify, who was encroaching on their territory. And it's managed to kind of do the Amazon thing, which is fulfilled by Amazon like beyond its platform. Yeah, so the incredible trick that. was we brought merchants onto our platform and then more than 50% of our gross merchandise value was not Amazon stuff. It was other people selling on our platform, but us getting the transaction fees. And then we went one further and we took Fulfilled by Amazon, which is 
people's stuff in our warehouses. And now even on their websites, it's fulfilled by Amazon. It's transacted by Amazon with our fees, with our customer relationship, with our data. We'll make it out like you still have the customer relationship, but we've enabled you to have Amazon level quality of service with the free shipping that's become the industry standard, the de facto thing that allows you to compete. But you still have it and it's on your website. It's an incredible move. And my prediction was Amazon does something really cool in payments. This isn't quite it, but it is really impressive. Well, this is the, the one step away from that, right? Because we, we joked about how the payments thing would be when Amazon's the bank and you basically put your salary into Amazon and then it just magically pays for stuff on Amazon. I mean, this is the this is basically checkmate. If I get if I understand it right, let me just see if I get this right. So they've put their tentacles now so far out into the retail space that I can use my Prime membership on a non-Amazon store, pay with Prime, the product from not Amazon somehow gets shipped from a warehouse fulfilled by Amazon with all my details, with all my payment things. Next day delivery? Am I getting that right? The kind of... Is it the that? best thing about this is the button has the delivery promise above it oh, wow. during the checkout flow. <laughs> so it says as per as if you were on Amazon, but you're on parochialwebsite.com. But it says Prime logo, buy with Prime, says the button. Above the button it says get it as soon as tomorrow, April 29th. Will it get bundled with my other Amazon items? Are they literally in- involved in the supply chain at a logistics level? Because that is insane. It's still in the Fulfilled by Amazon engine, but that also means that that retailer is now able to offer, as well as the free one-day, two-day shipping, they're also able to offer free returns. Oh my God, yeah. So up till now, you've not been able to compete with Amazon, right? That's the the facts. Any smaller or medium-sized business just can't compete with free shipping. But now they can offer it, but they have to offer it on Amazon's terms and by extending Amazon's empire and by extending the amount of things that are processed and handled through the Amazon logistics network, which let's not forget includes now well over half of the stuff is actually handled through Amazon trucks and Amazon planes and Amazon warehouses and Amazon Mm. last mile delivery. I have this love hate relationship with Amazon where it's like, I value competition. I value open markets. I really value having other innovators in that space but also like anyone i appreciate convenience and good customer service and a great user experience and so i kind of i try and look for any alternative than amazon when i'm buying a product but i also own amazon shares and buy off amazon because by and large it's often the cheapest at most the same convenient time, you option, know that the right? actual behavior is exactly the opposite of what you just described most people find something on the internet and then try to find that version of that product on Amazon no, no, completely. so that they I'm, can easily check out. I'm fighting against my better instincts. Like the, It is literally, it's like going to the gym when you really sit on the sofa. Most people want to sit on the sofa. It's that. I fight against those better instincts, but then it's going to be even more difficult. But fair play to Amazon. What I love about Amazon, and it was in that Working Backwards book, it's highly recommended, by the way, if you... Yeah, you're nodding, so you've read it. Their approach to just customer service and the user experience is just, you can't fault it. Because it's a level of lean manufacturing efficiency coupled with beautiful, seamless customer experience that just makes it so hard to compete against. They have some nefarious business practices, don't get me wrong. Like there's a lot wrong with how they approach competition. But 
that's for regulators, not for me. This is cool. Is this in the UK or is this just US right now? So it's currently invite only. It's currently only for people who are on already unfulfilled by Amazon, as in their stuff is already in an Amazon warehouse ready to be shipped by the Amazon machine. Okay. But in the end state, you won't have to have any presence on Amazon.com, right? Oh, wow. You can just... You can literally just have your... Yeah, yeah. So... Store. That's going to... So John Lewis will eventually be like... Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Prime. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's actually and not the end of the in world, the spirit it? of like working backwards, you can really see how this FAQ section and the press release was written into the original product design. Because like one of the FAQ questions is, can I build direct relationships with my shoppers with Buy With Prime? Yes. With Buy With Prime, <laughs> you will receive shopper order information, including email addresses for custom orders, which you can use to provide custom service and build direct relationships with shoppers. I love PR FAQs. You know, it's really hard to get people who grew up around PowerPoint to embrace PR FAQs in a Word doc with no visuals. It's really difficult. It's like they don't want to read, <laughs> but actually, no, the approach is flawless. <laughs> no joke. No joke. It's like, yeah, read this for 20 minutes, then we'll talk. It's just like, uh, no, show me pictures on landscape A4. That's not how power relationships work. <laughs> yeah. Wait, you're meant to just... Have you heard of management? Can you just summarise it in like a slide for me? It's like, can you just read? Just read for a bit. I would like to make worse decisions <laughs> on less information. Go. I mean, this has been one of my favourite topics. When you sent me the link, I was like, that is... The ultimate chess move. That's probably bigger than what we were joking about, which is like their big innovation in payments that we predicted for this year. This is bigger. Is it a bit like Agents in the Matrix sort of swapping into the bodies of anyone who's happened to be near Neo? <laughs> oh, oh, wait, on that topic. Unreal Engine 5. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice segue. Yeah, I wanted to get back to our roots, right? This segment used to be talking about tech. Then somehow it encroached into free speech and Elon and other things. <laughs> so Yeah, because software ate the world. Yeah. Tell me about this boring, nerdy tech platform that visualizes computer graphics. No, this was, this was ages ago, right? So this whole Unreal Engine 5 thing got launched. You saw the cool Matrix demo that came out, which was the Matrix Awakens, that yeah. they launched with Abysmal fourth Matrix. But anyway, let's ignore that. It's quite impressive. Like, don't get me wrong, I don't think graphics is everything, but as a next generation engine that gaming is going to be built on and that ultimately the metaverse will be built on, right? Whatever you interpret that to be, the next set of games. This thing is actually incredible. So we won't make it too have heavy. You, have, you been, have you been playing around? No, but I've watched a lot of videos of other people who have been playing around. In fact, there's a really cool... Right. Have you seen that? I watched the Matrix bit. Yeah, you watched the Matrix bit. So that whole environment you can run around in and play around in and, and it's... There's a lot of people who've like modded it now. So someone has done right, a cool. Superman mod. It's not actually Superman. They've been very careful not to preach copyright. <laughs> but it's basically Superman flying around with all the effects that it's cool. able to perform. And I watched a really nerdy video that examines the actual innovations taking place here, which I think are worth discussing. So to create the realism that they're they're achieving, there are kind of four big innovations. Tell me about Lumen and Nanite. So Lumens is cool because of real-time dynamic lighting. That's the simple way of looking at it. Normally in the game, you'd have fixed lighting and you'd just have to pre-program all the dynamic parts, you know, and that can be done very effectively, but then objects that move around don't change the ambience of the room and then the light doesn't bounce off them in an effective way. But with Lumens, they're able to do that real-time as you move things. So you, there's a great example I saw of like, they close the curtains in a room and you literally see 
not just the level of illumination drop but you see the way it bounces off objects in the room change and then they move a chair around and the light bounces off the chair to just cast a slight different light color on the walls real time that's an incredible innovation the next one was nanites and nanites was more about draw distance and about how you get the high fidelity that they have achieved but they're able to get to a very high polygon count and then have the draw distance that varies that polygon count as you approach it which basically creates the impression that you know, like the human eye, the further you look away, things get less clear, but the closer you get, things get more crisp. They can achieve that real time as you're flying around. So this this Superman demo is cool because you're going from like gently flying and floating to like going Neo style, flying through this Matrix Awakens space. And then you get the draw distance as you get closer, everything becomes much more crisp. Whereas what they used to do is have you'd have like eight different models, basically. Yeah, of that's different... right. And you'd see them swap in, yeah. in, and out, uh, in an ugly way. And now they're doing that dynamically per object with the increasing polygon count. You're going, it just creates that level of realism. And then the third one was MetaHumans, which brings me onto the whole NFT metaverse world that I was thinking we often talk about because the MetaHumans one's quite cool. This idea that you basically just generate lots of different human beings and just play around with their face to make different types of human so beings. So does it do it algorithmically? Yeah, yeah. so they can algorithmically generate new faces, but then you as a uh, Unreal developer can just move the brow and the nose and eyes, almost just create completely bespoke faces. But if you wanted a faces. crowd and it wasn't that important to you what they all looked like, yeah, you could generate there would just faces. be like a, you know, to 10,000 project button. And yeah, yeah. Simply and you just randomize <laughs> the... Exactly. Yeah. Which, with okay. all the uh, facial characteristics to animate with motion capture as well. So unlike when you play like The Witcher or Horizon Zero Dawn or something, you sometimes get these like doughy characters and it's the same character you saw five minutes ago. And it's like, it's now all unique ones, but all with their own unique facial properties and unmapped movements that you can really work with. And it's backwards compatible too. So it's interesting now that anything that worked on Unreal 4 will work on Unreal 5, and it's kind of made everyone switch. So I, I'm i a fan of The Witcher and of CD Projekt Red, even though they completely screwed up Cyberpunk. But anyway, they've said that for the next Witcher game in the series, even though they'd built their own game engine, they're now going to switch over to Unreal oh, wow. 5. Like everyone's switching over, which means there's a kind of level level setting standard now across everything in games in metaverses in anything that comes on from now on for the next decade this is the the standard and it's incredibly powerful and real so i just think take note because this is the benchmark now that we're going to be set for everything so this is unreal engine 5 Mm -hmm. can i ask a basic question about what it means as a platform so what actually is the engine and this is kind of a naive question but like I'm a game studio, I build a 3D world, and then this Unreal Engine is like what? Is it like a cloud platform that's hosting my 3D world? Is it like an open source code base? I notice it's free to use until I start making a million dollars, and then at that point I need to pay them 5% royalty. I also notice that if I'm using it for what they call linear purposes, i.e., I want to just like make a film inside a 3D world and just like play it as a video or if I'm using it internally in a company, then I I owe them zero money. I can just use Unreal Engine 5 and that is my 3D universe brought to life for me with this incredible cutting edge state-of-the-art best-in-class 3D engine. But what what actually is a 
3D engine, what is it? Is it the thing that's in the cloud or is it an open source thing on GitHub? What actually is it? I think, no, I think the engine is the thing that renders your world, right? When CD Projekt Red made their own engine, it's because they wanted certain behaviors in the game in terms of how it draws the characters, how it reacts to movement and to lighting and to clouds and everything. For they, That's what they did for The Witcher, that's what they did for Cyberpunk. So it's how it actually creates it. I think you think of Unreal as a bit like consensus in the sense of their real value is it's a free-to-use thing with the engine, but they also provide the tools, the creator tools, the assets. They've gone and scanned billions of rocks in different parts of the world so that you can basically just have any type of material substance and it's all created by their tools. And I think that's that's really where they get their money from. It's, a, it's kind of an interesting business model. Cause, but the code is like dropped into... Yeah, it's dropped into your game and okay. and then and then anything that's using that engine can can run it, which is why everyone following the standard is going to be quite an interesting trend because you're going to get phenomenal consistency and then developers can just focus on making great narratives, designing great games, making good game mechanics without building a game engine, I assume, is very, very hard, it's like very intensive. I think that was one of the reasons why Cyberpunk failed because they tried to build a new game in parallel with a whole new game engine. And it's just like, that's just an insane amount of developer time whereas now they can focus on we'll just use unreal and we'll focus on you know stuff we're talking about with yuga labs and with narrative and stuff if you invest in that stuff and just assume yeah. unreal will take care of all of the rendering and the graphics and the lighting and the clouds and the rocks and the people you can kind of get better value out i guess it's a really interesting shift in the industry i think i think as a tech trend this new standard that everyone will follow is just going to have a generation of games metaverses platforms that goes into levels of hyper reality that i think is is going to be incredible i remember playing the first tomb raider and being like amazed that the gun looked like a gun <laughs> even though when you look at it now you're like it's like someone's 3d printed the letter l <laughs> like, <something> like <laughs> there's no detail whatsoever whereas now it's like okay you, you nailed it i don't know how much more real you want to get to I get it. Everything's going to like flowing water, beautiful clouds, dynamic lighting, great reflections. You win. It's going to just be focus on the immersion, the world building, the narrative, the storytelling, the game mechanics. I think that's quite cool now because I feel like we've hit a level of maturity that just makes everything just great. You know, like when phones got great and then all the phones ended up just being the same. I feel like with that, I'm going to say two things. Carrie Ann Moss's face and the young version of Neo. Maybe it's more of a comment on Keanu's formerly wooden acting style, but that, that looked a bit impassive and a bit kind of not quite. Oh, do you know okay, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's the demo release that, of from where we've come from. Exactly. Yes, it's phenomenal. And also, and I think another thing to say: composability. Right. This is a building block. Exactly. And they've got it, and it it works. And this and is they... as bad as it ever gets. <laughs> Just remember that <laughs> that that Matrix Awakens one where you're like, is it real or is it not? That's as bad as it ever gets. So so it's good. An interesting, uh, yeah, state change. What is this week's non-sponsor? Are you tired of like the same old toys cluttering up your living room? Like some of them are broken. You've got bored of some of them. You never play with them. It's all the time. Do you wish you had? Yeah. Okay. Well, I've got a solution for you. There's a company, and unfortunately, this one is is UK only. But there's a company called Whirly, and just for a small monthly fee, you can get as many toys as you like sent to you and when you get bored of them you can send them back 
and they'll be replaced with a, another toy of your choice. And it's basically a toy subscription program. That's genius. Because what happens with toys, they're interesting for a while, and then in their nature, many of them become boring and unused. Or your kid outgrows it. Right. So from the ages of zero to eight, you can subscribe to toys from Whirly. If you decide to buy them, you buy them at sub-market prices. When you send them back, they get sanitized and cleaned and then sent to someone else. And replaced part. (laughs) You can get up to four times the worth of your monthly subscription. And with the discount code that will be in the show notes, you can get 30% off the monthly subscription price, which means that you can get it from as low as £6.30 a month. So about about nine dollars that's actually a great idea and that's whirly which is unfortunately only whirly.com w-h-i-r-l-i.com in the uk us equivalents available links in the show notes with discount that's brilliant love it thanks whirly i think it's time for this week in crypto and your market update but actually i need to ask about meta they had, they had a really interesting earnings release can you tell me about oh, it? yes Okay. Well, first of all, this week in crypto, general story is that Bitcoin's down about 3% to 38k. And overall, everything's down about 4%, except ApeCoin, which had an incredible week. It's up 20% on the week. And it's now at about $20. But it's been as high as $27 yesterday. Uh, in the the lead up to something that we're going to talk about later on. So Facebook's meta had a bit of a rough time, but I don't think it's as bad as you're going to make out. Oh, so no, what, do you, what do you think the story is here? There's, there's like a mixed bag of stories, right? Because it's, it's good, but it's also for anyone else, it would be bad if you lost 2.9 billion and your investments in your virtual reality space. But anyway, tell me, tell me why it's good. Or not that bad. So what used to be Oculus is now Reality Labs. And in 2021, they lost about $10 billion, which is a lot of money. But they did see $695 million in revenue in the first quarter of this year from sales of headsets and things like the Meta Portal. So they are making some money. It's just that they're loss making overall. And people have said to Mark Zuckerberg, your Metaverse arm seems to be doing badly. And he said, I recognise it's expensive to build this. It's something that's never been built before. Maybe it's not fair to say that they lost this money. Like, you expect this to be loss-making at the beginning. And it is certainly loss-making to the tune of 10 billion. 10 billion also happens to be the amount of money that Facebook slash Meta says they will lose from Apple's new ad practices. So the Apple ID for advertisers, the impact of that through the whole of this year is expected to cost Facebook 20 billion in lost revenues because they can't target ads as effectively. I'm struggling to see the good side, but I'm sure there is (laughs) in all of that. Was there any other market updates? So Apple had quite good sales figures, but then quite a negative earnings call in which they talked about the supply chain challenges. And that was expected to hit the stock price quite hard today. Actually, it didn't go as badly and opened really, really well. It only closed sort of three and a half percent down just because everything else was heading down yeah, at the same time. Um, the, the biggest story in terms of post earnings is the impact to Amazon. So Amazon bellwether of the US economy, the global economy and consumption in general, seeing a quarter of losses, quite unusual to see that. 
and then the US seeing the first contraction in terms of its quarterly growth. Both of those negative things, and today's been a horrible day in the markets, end scene. <laughs> so optimism as part of This Week in Crypto. It's part of This Week in Crypto. So every now and again, I bore people with my obsession around layer two scaling solutions for Ethereum. And a while ago, I think the top tip was go use something like Hop Protocol, where you can bridge between you know, Optimism, Arbitron, ZK Sync, Gnosis, Sidechains, all that, all that stuff. Because inevitably with these layer twos, they're kind of centralized at the moment, but they're going to have to provide some governance layer or some some way of decentralizing themselves just to maintain the, the kind of principles around decentralization. They have launched something called the Optimism Collective. It's quite interesting because everyone thought they'll just do like a big airdrop, but this seems to be staggered and it doesn't seem to just be people who used Optimism. They're launching a DAO the DAO is focused on collective good, so investing in projects that benefit the openness of the Ethereum ecosystem, so kind of good. And they're airdropping the Optimism governance token to just a variety of people. So it's not, it's kind of not as simple as just if you bridge to Optimism, you'll get it. It's if you used Optimism, so you made a transaction on Optimism prior to June 23rd, 2021. It's repeat Optimism units, then get a bit of a bonus if you've, you know, used it in more than four unique weeks over the past year. But then, interestingly enough, they provided airdrops to people who voted in the DAO. So is that, is that where you got yours? No, I got mine because I got priced out of Ethereum. Priced out of so Ethereum. that's another criteria. If you've ended up using Polygon, they characterize that as you've got priced out of Ethereum from high gas prices. You're the kind of person yeah, who would like yeah. a layer two solution. So you too will receive some of these tokens, which is a governance token. It was kind of great because I'd voted in the Song of Day DAO and also in the Shapeshift DAO. So kind of qualify for the DAO oh, one. Yeah, that wow. was really good. Okay. Because I'm one of these people who doesn't actually participate properly. I'm like the DAO's worst nightmare. That's why they don't want to reward you. See, if you yeah, participate right. in on-chain governance, yeah, then you get rewarded. by I think it's a great way of doing an airdrop. Like there are there are some ways of doing airdrops where it just seems to benefit the people who already have loads of money, and there are other ways of doing it like this, where it's a case of attracting good citizens, almost good citizens, right? Whether you've participated in DAO voting. Because your wallet would votes. have signed a record in a in a in a DAO vote, right? So there's right. a certain but signature. Is it a specific type of signature yeah. that they're looking for. Yeah, exactly. So they're looking for that particular signature and then they're recognizing it. Amazing. As, which is great. This is and this is just the first one. So you know the recipe now. You know, if you haven't done any of this and you're kind of oh, you don't need to get FOMO, just embrace what's happening on Ethereum layer twos, start using them, like we said, Hot Protocol, Optimism, Arbitrum, ZK Sync, Starknet, which have launched theirs recently. This is a ZK rollup. Use Polygon, use Gnosis Chain, just use any of those and your wallet could be entitled to the next Optimism airdrop, which I think is a great way of doing it, right? It's kind of um, not fair distribution, but I guess it rewards the right behaviors, like right incentives. And it's also unlikely to lead to a kind of pump and dump, which is great. And if Optimism have had to do it because they want to eventually decentralize their computational layer, the, the layer two solution they do for optimistic rollups, all the others will have to do something similar, I assume, at some point. So they may follow the same suit. I think it's a great thing. 
very surprised. That was one of my hopes for this year, that we'd get layer two solution airdrops happening. And this has set the tone. Really good. Thanks, Jonathan. Now, it looks like someone's bought a house using DeFi to get a mortgage. But this time, instead of putting down collateral, so normally on DeFi, you'd have to put in some some USDC or some other kind of tokens or something as a down payment. Uh, on this occasion, they've done it in an uncollateralized way using Teller. So Teller is the platform T-E-L-L-E-R. Can you say a little bit more about how this happened and how they're able to do it without collateral? No, they, they still have collateral. So they still have the equivalent of a deposit in USDC, but it's, it's uncollateralized in a sense of, I think the last one we talked about like this, they basically had to lock up Bitcoin to then get a mortgage for the house. And the, I think the value of the Bitcoin is basically the house. So it wasn't really like, <laughs> it wasn't really the same mechanism as what we would normally consider a mortgage, right? This is... Although that would be capital gains tax efficient. Uh, oh, true. This is like the first on-chain DeFi mortgage, which is kind of cool. So they put down some USDC. I think they put down, looks like $180,000 of USDC but then took the loan out, took the mortgage of 500,000 USDC. Hmm. Um, and it's provided by USDC.homes, which is a new company that bridges mortgage lenders and brokers together with DeFi to basically allow you to do this. But that's kind of cool because decentralized finance mortgages aren't a thing, as far as I'm aware. Like this is the first. Yeah, so the missing part is the credit scores. So I think the way that they were able to do it was that there's an intermediary company that works with USDC.homes called Teller. And Teller looks up your credit score and somehow kind of oracles that in to the DeFi ecosystem. Oh, does it? And that's why, yeah, and that's why you're able to take out more money than you've put in because you're good for it. So it makes DeFi a bit more versatile because now you can actually use a real world data point and it's not just funky mathematics in the background. Does that mean Teller's doing some sort of like KYC credit score check? So they're, or, or is it is it more that they they determine a kind of crypto credit score based on, do you know what I mean? I, like, I, yeah, so I got the impression that it was real world credit score sort of Experian type thing. I think another thing to note is that when you go through this process, if your down payment was in crypto, you're not liquidating that. So to get the so loan... it's not taxable, basically. Yeah, so you don't get exposed to loss of position or capital gains tax and fees. It's really clever. It's actually a really clever idea. Yeah, so I think it's only live in Texas so far. But in principle, it's, it was an Austin-based condo that was transacted. But in principle, USDC.homes is the URL. And they can issue up to 30-year mortgages as large as $5 million at a 5.5% interest rate, and it's an 80% loan to value. You know what I can't wait for? I can't wait till full, full on-chain DeFi mortgages and exchanges. <laughs> can you imagine, like, can you imagine if the searches you do on a property could be like sold or like staked for the next buyer to just like pay a fee to then access the searches? Do you know what I mean? Because like, and then, the and then if, things, it would the just make the whole thing better. And then the, the exchange would be would be the whole slick. Thing's a or the whole the housing market would be so much more efficient. It would just be incredible. The whole thing's a racket. This You're talking about one. disrupting an industry that they'll come after you. That literally is as old as houses. <laughs> like, <laughs> they will come after you. Um, so, 
This week in NFTs. Yeah, this week in NFTs. There's all this buzz happening around ApeCoin and uh, it's all down to KYC. What's happening tomorrow? What's happening tomorrow at 5 p.m.? What are you doing tomorrow at 5 p.m. UK time? Uh, I'll have just come back from Eastern the zoo. time, is it? Exactly. I, yep, I'll be rushing back from my, my nearest zoo, London Zoo, and uh, I'll be uh, scurrying onto the internet to potentially buy some land. Now, Board Ape Yacht Club, Yuga Labs, the Metaverse, the other side, which is their flavour of the Metaverse, uh, they are launching they're about to go live and what that means is that it's an opportunity to buy up land so in the same way that the panhandling gold rush people went to california and uh, went west what's happening in this gold rush is is a, is a, an attempt to grab chunks of land in the metaverse in yuga labs's board ape yacht club metaverse that is called other side and it's all happening tomorrow and it starts at 9 p.m eastern but they, they changed it. So it was going to be a Dutch auction, as in the price drops and drops and drops until someone starts buying. But then they decided they're going to change it to something else. What is the thing that they're changing it to? A tweet came out today. So today's Friday. Dutch auctions are actually bullshit. So other deeds will be sold for a flat price of 305 ApeCoin, said below. Also, we've heard Which from... is about $6,000, by the at way. At the moment. Yeah, with, with Ape as it is. We've heard from the community that we should not allot more time for users to set pre-approval for ApeCoin. So starting at 9am Eastern Time on 30th of April, users will be able to do this. The actual sale will not begin until 9pm Eastern Time, a full 12 hours later. So so are we doing this? Are we, are we actually going to... So th- there are two sites. Somethingisbrewing.com, where we did the original KYC. That's where you're now eligible. Then you go to otherside.xyz is where tomorrow's land drop will happen these deeds will be for a patch of land that may contain resources might even contain one of those funny coda creatures yeah. you can mint up to two of them you can mint up got, two of if them. you've got lots of money you can have two of them and then the second wave if there's any left you can mint an additional four but right. you have to have kyc'd to do it which is the weirdest kyc i've ever experienced in my life like Why? Because normally you KYC with some indication of what you're KYCing. Right, you don't exactly. Really yeah. We had a... no idea what it was about. Just went to Anmioka Brands <laughs> and we're like, okay, Something here's is some brewing. personal data. Here's some personal data for you. I think you're important. And it's something. just like, they didn't say what it was for. It's very, it's just the weirdest experience ever. But anyway. Like a classic shell game, like the pyramid scheme that is NFTs writ large. In this one, they've got the apes. They've dangled them in front of you. Now they've got the metaverse. Then they've got land. And like... Like a kind of Fugazi within a Fugazi. They've got you and they're, they're so, setting up another thing that you can get interested in. And then when you buy it, then the price goes down, but then you'll hold it and then you hope and then you bring other people in. And so it continues. But the fact is that as a social event, this is kind of enormous. Like, And as even the FT is calling it the largest ever non-fungible token launch. Like, This is a, an enormous social event that will have incredible buzz around it. One of the reasons the Dutch auction has been cancelled is because the impact this will have on Ethereum's gas prices throughout the, all of tomorrow and into, into the night. And I think the thing to say about it is that it's a bit unfortunate that the biggest event in NFTs the thing that's kind of like the big event is so exclusive and exclusionary. 
Like you can only participate in this if you have at least six thousand dollars one ape coin. Yeah, you have to have three hundred and five ape coin, which unless right. you had a board ape, you probably don't have unless you've gone crazily bought some ape coin. The Mebits crew were pissed when they found that they weren't gonna get airdrops land. Even though they're in that submarine in the trailer. Yeah, yeah, they were pissed. But then did you notice one of the co founders of Yuga Labs tweeted something saying, oh, I've just got back from holiday and um, it dawned on me that, you know, we really need to think of like ways that we can innovate the utility of Mebit. So that's my next goal. And then that kind of restored faith that Yuga hadn't abandoned their recent acquisition of Punks and Mebits. Anyway, it's all very fun. Bored out fishing attack. Did you see it? Yes, it's boring. Basically, some Instagram got hacked and said that they were going to do a special deal and link to this thing. And then people went to a site and then they pressed approve on their MetaMask and then somebody had their apes taken away from them quite That's a lot. Bad, of them. isn't it, though? I mean, it no. turns out that basically you can hack anything, really. You can't really hack the blockchain that easily. It, I mean, it's a social engineering, isn't it? It's more the fact that there's no safeguards, right? There's no, like, you need, you need, like, the equivalent of, like, what are those things where you have like a, a conscience on your shoulders that's just whispering you, hey, don't do it. <laughs> it could be a scam. You just need that mechanism for all these things. Right. Or, or like my banking app that before I add any payee just asks me loads of really annoying questions and treats me like a pensioner. You know, last week our not sponsor was Argent and we had the whole Guardian thing. Like having <laughs> almost like a Guardian trigger of someone who is actually maybe a bit more sensible who... When you're about to do something crazy, it then pings them as like, do you approve of this? And I'd go, no, this is a, clearly a scam. Don't do it. I think that's like the mechanism that you need. The thing that I, sh- I guess I should be more sympathetic to is that there you are, you're on Instagram, the Bored Apes thing, they've done a post. It's from the it's genuine- from their board, account, right? It's ju- from the genuine yeah. Bored Apes account, the Uyghur account has come in. And you know that there's something brewing because literally something is brewing.xyz. Exactly. And they say- we're doing something a bit early and um, go to this link. So you go to the link because you're loyal and you're on it and you're early. You're always early and you're excited and you never read the thing that pops up. It pops up. You press approve. You thought you could trust these people. Oh dear. Yeah. I, so I, I should be more sympathetic. You said it's boring. In any other thing that wasn't crazy NFTs. How it much was- money was lost? in nfts roughly three million dollars the, the whole thing is quite sad because like you said it's a legit instagram account and first movers in this whole space tend to be rewarded so you've probably got a lot of people who are just like oh my god they do secretive stuff they're always about the first come first serve type thing that's a very innocent mistake to make for people so it's a bit sad we're short of safeguards in this industry and there's no control z you can't do anything it's just a bit sad what about that token that launched to help people who are the victims of scams? What's that called? SOS. Yeah, SOS. I don't think, yeah. I don't think they're going to... What, what this is, is their big moment. This is their time to shine, isn't it? Why don't they step up? <laughs> Do what? And, and make bail them, them square. Out. Make, yeah, exactly. Yes. Make them whole. Make Yes. The, probably the entire market cap of SOS is what got scammed. This is their time. <laughs> yeah. Um, their time is now. That is a dumb project. I think we should redo How Do I Crypto? Briefly, we gave it a bit of time off. Uh, it was the kind of 101 section of our podcast. How do I crypto? 
yeah, how do I cook to it? Episode 12, I thought we'd covered everything that there was to know. And then it turns out people are messaging me going, no, you really need to cover stable coins. Algorithmic stable coins, normal stable coins, deregulation stable coins, the centralization of stable coins. There's a lot in stable coins that we probably should cover. The way I would break it down is a stable coin is trying to peg itself to a fiat currency, whether it's the dollar or the pound or the yen or whatever it is. That's what it's trying to, it's trying to be stable, as stable as those things are right now. But the buckets that I was thinking, you've got dollar or fiat currency backed, i.e. there's a dollar in the bank for every dollar that is issued. That's like the perfect scenario. I don't think anything is like that right now. Maybe USDC is close in terms of auditability. And I think GUSD maybe gets close to it. Then there's the whole almost John Maynard Keynes bank or model of basket of assets roughly worth the right amount to make it pegged to a dollar, which I think is what a lot of them do, including things like Tether. So USDT, which is dodgy for other reasons, is one of those where it's a bunch of assets that kind of should back it. And then I thought my last category would be algorithmic stablecoins, which you're just going to have to explain to me. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Doug. (laughs) Name some examples of algorithmic stablecoins. So so the one I know well and I've used is is DAI. So MakerDAO had DAI, D-A-I, which tries to peg itself to a dollar. And I know how that one works because it's all around incentivizing you to buy more DAI or sell it for Ethereum and make money off the arbitrage. And then, you know, the supply of DAI fluctuates to try and make sure that supply and demand, it roughly ends up at a dollar. But it doesn't stay as stable as some of the ones that are literally collateralized in dollars because you're relying on market forces and it's, you know, it can be susceptible to sudden market shock. The other one is Terra, so UST, not to be confused with USDT. Terra, which is, yeah, the, the complex one that I've been trying to unpeg which is unpeg, um, pun intended. Don't unpeg it. <laughs> That's the one where it's like, it's Doquan from the Terra blockchain. It's backed by a combination of Luna and Terra and now Bitcoin and a basket of other cryptocurrencies. And it's doing the same sort of thing that Dai did, but at just a much bigger scale. And that's the one that I'm slightly struggling with, but trying to unpick. Do you know others? There's also another category, which I'm just trying to ah. look up to, to be able to explain properly. But there there is a category of stable coins that's linked to its sort of purchasing power stable coin. Oh, wow. Yeah, so purchasing power parity stable coin. So it holds true in the face of inflation with the same purchasing power against, like, for example, you could peg it to the CPI, Consumer Price Index of Inflation, so that it retains its value, essentially, in a true stablecoin way. Yeah, so that's a fourth bucket, if you like. Uh, I would say about all this, the algorithmic stablecoins, is that they're not doing the work that I want them to do. Mm. So I want a stablecoin just to facilitate hopping in and out at times of volatility very quickly with liquidity when I'm on an exchange. Mm. And stablecoins do a great job of doing that. So it's a flight to stablecoins that will happen when the, forgive my French, when, when, when the murd hits the fan in crypto land, in times of a massive run on the markets or huge volatility or crash, there'll be huge flight to stablecoins. And within the exchanges, if you're quick enough, 
you know, that's how to potentially be safe until the exchange goes down. And that's what stablecoins, I think, are really good for. This really clever stuff that you can do with bonding curves and very smart crypto economics is frankly beyond me. And both the algorithmic stablecoins, both categories, they're not ones that I would use for the kind of functional purposes of stablecoin. I think stablecoin have really important function. Mm. And it's super interesting to see that central bank digital currencies are recognizing that when you can do frictionless and low transaction fee transfers of money instantly and in a settled manner without using arcane banking infrastructure, guess what? Oh, surprise, it does it does create value and it does help your citizenry. So central bank digital currencies are just taking a leaf out of the stablecoin book. They will be the ones with the seal of approval yeah. of, of of governments. And that's going to be really good for the global financial system. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, for payments and for making DeFi a real thing that everyone can use, it's going to be fantastic. But the, there is one distinction that I think algorithmic stablecoins achieve that others don't, which is decentralization. So USDC is not decentralized. The reason any of those kind of custodial stablecoins, they have the stamp of approval from governments, will be because ultimately, if you wanted to go to Circle and Coinbase, and if you told them to censor transactions and to freeze your account, they could, and they've done it. You know, they've done that for sanctioned individuals and for people who've been identified with fraudulent behavior. And you can do that the way that you can't on Bitcoin, on Ethereum, on any other decentralized platform because ultimately that is a token where the contract and the issuer is just a central authority you trust them i would trust coinbase and and circle to provide that and to be audited and i'm a legal actor so i'm not too worried but it it doesn't achieve decentralization the way that algorithmic stablecoins do which for people who are learning about this is an interesting one and maybe there are some where it's some sort of like smart contract collateralized you know <laughs> deposited dollar based one but i don't know how that would work because you need you, you know what i mean you need the the fiat digital currency but it doesn't exist to collateralize against it that's why you have these algorithmic ones because they don't rely on the fed the bank of england any form of fiat currency and yet they try and achieve close approximation to the same price the parity of a price like the pound or the dollar and i find that really interesting longer term yeah i thought you were going to talk about olympus sort of f fully decentralized reserve currency yeah but i mean olympus struggled the same way that like and to a different level like do you remember titan and iron finance and these were like they tried to do algorithmic stable coins with the same incentive mechanisms but there's no real utility to hold the underlying token so it's kind of just a ponzi <laughs> and then and then the, the bottom fell out right it's really hard to do algorithmic stable coins where there's a true incentive mechanism for people to actually hold the underlying token that's acting as collateral because once that token loses its value the whole thing just falls out that's where ust the terror one makes sense because you need luna to pay fees on the network and you need terror as part of the blockchain ecosystem that they've built so those have utility by themselves hence using them to collateralize and algorithmically peg ust actually works so there's a kind of logic and incentive mechanism there yeah. So USDC, is that not an ERC-20 token? No, it's still an ERC-20 token. Can you reverse a transaction that's happened on USDC? It's not so much about reversing the transaction so much as you can freeze a wallet. If you think about what's happening there, you've got a token issued on Ethereum 
that's this, you know, it just happens to be called USDC, but it's just a token. And the contract for that can, can freeze who's using it. It's not like Ethereum where it's just validators on our network, just validating transactions. There is a central authority to, to that token that can create new tokens, for instance, and that can burn tokens and it can also freeze accounts. So mm. it's not so much about reversing transactions as none of it is censorship resistant. It's very much trusted as far as I'm aware. Within the within the um, algorithmic stablecoin, decentralized version of stablecoins, um, which is the one you'd back? Ooh, that's an interesting one. So the one that I've used is Dai. So the make it that one, just because it's been around the longest, it's kind of robust. Yeah. They've gone through a few shocks. I don't even see. Right? I don't even think of it as algorithmic, but but it fine. is. Yeah, but I know yeah. it is. Yeah, the one that's growing at a very very fast rate and actually has a lot of credibility. If you've ever heard Do Kwan speak, is is UST and the, the Terra ecosystem. I have had to dive a lot into it because, quite frankly, it's complex. That's one that I'm watching now because. Whilst at first it seemed like like a lot of others that have been kind of verging on Ponzi's, it actually seems much more robust and well thought through as another financial ecosystem. They're not trying to be Ethereum. They're not trying to be a full smart contract layer for everything. They seem to be focused on just providing the finance side of it. And I think this setup they have for UST, it may it may be okay. But you know with Dai the test for that was the big flash crashes right and that's where suddenly it caught it all like fell apart and had to rebalance itself i don't know if ust has had that test yet that kind of real world test so i wouldn't put a lot of money it's, in it. it's almost like you're saying like here is an important critical element of the if you were trying to recreate the whole financial infrastructure yeah. you'd need the stablecoin part to be algorithmic decentralized and robust you would need that for practical purposes the centralized version for the kinds of use that stablecoins have right now, like if you're trying to make it stablecoins as good as the rest of crypto, then you've kind of missed the point because that's trying to make fiat as good as the rest of crypto. And central bank digital currencies will come and they will provide the centralized alternative exactly. to, to stablecoins. Yeah, yeah. So if, if you love fiat and you want the convenience of crypto, the central bank digital currencies are coming. Now, if you want your crypto stablecoin to be nice and decentralized, yes, the algorithmic ones are there. But doesn't that kind of miss the point of what we were trying to do with crypto in the first place? So it doesn't matter for any of us. Like if you're in America, if you're in the UK, if you're in Europe, if you're in Japan, like there's a lot of places it doesn't matter. It would matter for your father-in-law. So if you're a Russian citizen who's not involved in any of the conflicts, but just affected by sanctions and wants protection from that in a stable form of currency, it does matter to some extent because you can't fully trust USDC to not apply sanctions on on Russian individuals who just happen to be Russian. Like, you, we've seen that happen now. And that's a precedence that can't be undone. Once you've seen it, it's like, okay, well, you could just get caught up in politicization of, of things, right? For that, I would say I'd prefer Bitcoin. <laughs> I'd prefer Ethereum. If I had to go stablecoins, I would probably prefer, you know, MakerDAO's DAI rather than USDC just because the 1% chance that maybe a very aggressive US administration goes to Coinbase and Circle and goes, no, I want all the people who had Russian IP addresses, I want their wallets to be frozen. I mean, they probably wouldn't do that, but like just hypothetically, it could happen. And that, that risk is always a thing in crypto. You know, you want a system to be secure by design, 
not by just having a bit of faith in people being nice. That's the whole point, right? I think it's time for cryptic or quick trick. New format. Because you started cheating, <laughs> I kept losing. And I was like, why am I losing? And it turns out, yeah, you were just doing two real NFTs, two CryptoPunks, one with just a different name <laughs> and one with a real name, which is hard to discern. So new format, new game. So what you're telling me is because you kept losing, you've changed the rules of the game. You broke the rules. You broke the game. Is this what's... We're starting again. So how, how do we know? How do we know it's not about to happen again? Yeah, well, well, let's see. I'm I'm not going to cheat. I'm going to ensure you win. This format, there are two completely absurd crypto slash NFT themed headlines. Only one of them can be true. They both have to come from a real news website. So, you know, you can't just make up a news website. It's got to be pretending at least to be from a real news website. So my first one is from NFT Plaza. And it is the headline. Grammy award-winning artist Drake will launch Canada Day NFT collection with Tim Hortons. Next, please. The next one is from Complex.com, and it's their NFT feed. And it's that Sir Mix-a-Lot will be debuting an NFT collection, Big Butts, to raise awareness and money for colorectal cancer research. Which one is the cryptic and which one is a quick trick? Uh, the first one is the cryptic and the second one is the quick trick. So you think I'm lying about Sir Mix-a-Lot and that yes. I'm telling the truth about Drake and Tim Hortons doing a Canada Day NFT collection? Yes. Is that your final answer? Absolutely. Unfortunately, Drake and Tim Hortons aren't partnering to do Canada Day NFTs. But Sir Mix-a-Lot is in fact doing a NFT collection called Big Butts to raise awareness and money for colorectal cancer research. There you go. <laughs> I won. <laughs> This is a great format. <laughs> I finally won. <laughs> I'm really happy for you. Not sure if this one will take off, but we'll have to see. Well, anyway, I'm glad you won. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. Well, it's been a good podcast. <laughs> great part. Great part. Speak to you next week. Next week. Started during lockdown. Needed something to do. They looked at each other. They said, hey, I like talking to you. And so from a garden shed in a box room in West London, they're discussing tech. It's the Small Time Bets Podcast. Doug is drinking a Blue Dog IPA. Jonathan's got a Negroni. That day they were in the corporate world. That night they rocked the party. party. Friends were